Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levi. I am pleased to bring to you chapter 1 of Sefer Daniel, the book of Daniel. The last three kings of Judah, the ones who reigned during the Babylonian onslaught upon the Mediterranean coast in general and the onslaught uh, on the land of Israel in particular, were Jehoiakim, the son of Yoshiahu, Jehoiakim's son Jehoiachin, who ruled for only three months before he was deposed, and Matanyahu, the son of Yoshiahu, or Yehoiachin's uncle, um, Matanyahu's name would be changed to Tzidkiyahu, the final king of Judea before the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the first commonwealth. Uh, Jehoiakim and Tzidkiyahu ruled for 11 years each, and both essentially failed for the same reason, which was that they dared to rebel against Babylonian domination, and their rebellions brought down the weight of Babylon upon them. Uh, the heavy of Babylon was, of course, Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebuchadnezzar II, who actually began his conquest in the area uh, while his father, Nebo Palasar, was still in power. But uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's early days, Egypt was still kind of holding on to its own power in the region, in the area of Israel, what's called the Levant, um, and under a king named Paro Necho. Um, and in fact, we, we see in Tanakh that Paranacho had a decent amount of political control over Israel. Now, based on the book of Yirmiyahu, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar became king over the expanding Babylonian Empire in Jehoiakim's fourth year, which is around 605 BCE. We know that Jehoiakim stopped paying taxes to Babylon for three years, and then Nebuchadnezzar comes after it. Uh, he lets him get away with it, I guess, for three years. Then he comes after it to the land of Israel to put down this uh, unfortunate rebellion. This may have been, or probably was, the 11th and final year of Jehoiakim's rule, which puts us at 598. The famous Babylonian chronicles record Nebuchadnezzar's exiling, uh, not of Jehoiakim, but Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiachin, in the seventh year of Nebuchadnezzar's rule, which means that the Babylonian sources, what are called the Babylonian Chronicles, match the dating in our Tanakh as well. It was at that time that some of the temple's vessels were taken, which is stated here, as well as in chapter 36 of the book of Divri Hayamim, Chronicles 2. And it was also at that time, uh, as described in the book of Yirmiyahu in Jeremiah chapter 52, that 3,023 people are exiled from Israel, specifically um, these are the aristocracy and the uh, the higher classes. Therefore, our book of Daniel seems to open up with the following strange chronology, but it actually works out all right. Bishnat shalosh l'malchut yoyakim melech Yehuda ba nevuchad netzar melech bavel yushalayim vayatzar aleha. In the third year of the rule of Yoyakim, the king of Judea. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babel, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The third year, therefore, can't be the third year of his total rule, since they didn't come until his 11th year. But what it seems to me is the third year of his uh, autonomous rule, or his attempt at autonomy, as he broke away from Bavel. Because keep in mind, for the first seven or eight years, he was either under Bavel's thumb paying taxes, or he was under Paro Necho of Egypt's thumb paying taxes. And that's why I think the verse stresses Limalchut Yehoiakim Melch Yehuda, the rule, meaning the independent rule of the king, as opposed to his uh, many years of non-independent rule. Anyway, it was in this third year that uh, that um, that Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, 
Vayitain Adunai Biado Yoyakim Melech Yehuda Umiktsat Klei Veita Elohim Vayivim Eretz Shinar Beit Elohav Ved Kol Kelav Hevi Beit Otsar Elohav. And the Lord gave Yehoyakim, King of Judah, into his, that is, Nebuchadnezzar's hands, along with some of the vessels of God's temple. And he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them back to his God's temple in the land of Sumeria, and the vessels he brought back, he brought into the temples, he put into the temple's treasury. Sumeria, Shumar, is the, um, or Shinar here, is the ancient name for that region, out of which the Assyrian and Babylonian empires would grow. Vayomer Amelech Laashpanaz Rab Sarisav Lahavimi Bnei Yisrael Mizera Muchau Min Apar Timim. Then the king, that is Nebuchadnezzar, told Ashpenaz, the name of his chief officer, to bring captives from Israel, specifically from the family of the king and from the aristocracy. And that's what I mentioned before. Our Tanakh uh, elsewhere um, uh, talks about the 3,000 plus people who were exiled at that time. Now the temple's not destroyed yet, and only part of the temple's utensils have been taken, uh, but essentially uh, the end of Israel is on the way, although had Sidkiyahu, the final king, who uh, who Nebuchadnezzar set up, not rebelled against him, it may have gone better. And we know from uh, Tanakh, by the way, that only the lower classes were left in Israel. And it was the common practice at that time in the ancient Near East for conquering kings to adopt, so to speak, the relatives of conquered kings and to train them in the new culture. And those those retrained uh, children relatives could then provide a social and political bridge between the conqueror and the conqueror. They would often be sent back to the conquered areas after a while and uh, provide sort of a loyal uh, delegacy uh, uh, for the conquering, for the empire. Uh, in this case, Nebuchadnezzar was specifically looking for Yiladim asher eim bahem kolmum v'tovei mar'eh u'maskilim b'chol chachma v'yodei dat v'vinei mada v'asher koch bahem la'amod b'heichal ha'melech u'lulamadam sefer u'lushon kastim. Youth without any blemish, good-looking and intelligent in all forms of chokhmah, meaning functional wisdom, those who understood how to reason, how to comprehend knowledge, according to Rashi, I think Rashi, maybe Eben Ezra, Mivinei Mada means the ability to teach it to other people, I think that's Eben Ezra, and who had the strength enough to stand in the king's palace. Literally, I mean, literally, Lambo, the Fnei means to stand uh, 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 in the king's palace. What it means is to be put into service. But there seems to be something actually literal going on, which I'll touch on in a second. And all of the goal was, Lamdam, uh, Lamdam, I'm sorry, Lamdam Sefer, Lushon Kastim, to teach them to be scribes in the language of the Chaldeans. Um, which probably pre- refers to the complex form of writing called cuneiform. Scribes, because of their command of languages, their ability to read and write, were used as diplomats, negotiators, and the like. They had a certain high status, especially if they were formal, uh, former royalty, even if they were royalty of conquered nations. It also seems from the verses I mentioned before that when you became a scribe, you would literally have to stand for hours before the king, um, always ready to be able to, to take a note or to uh, read something or, or whatever it was. So it looks like it took not only brains, but a strong constitution. You had to be bright and smart. Uh, you had to be bright uh, and strong. I should note um, that uh, in this verse we have this classic grouping of the three, Chochmah, Bina, and Dat, the three aspects of knowledge, which essentially indicate a complete thinker. Another note on this verse is that uh, the language of the Chaldeans, Chaldeans uh, is the English uh, representation for Kazdim, 
uh, or an alternate representation for Kazdim with a switch of the letters. Um, and these were a group of peoples who, they're not exactly identical to all Babylonians. They were actually a group of Semitic peoples that tried to, uh, to immig- to, uh, to, uh, immigrate into, into Babylon. The Babylonians didn't really want them, so they got pushed all the way down to the south into the marshes, which delineate the Persian Gulf. They set up shop there. Uh, as I said, because the Babylonians didn't really want them in their cities. Well, the joke was on the Babylonians because, as you could see, the Chaldeans would take control under Nebo Palasar, under Nebuchadnezzar, and they would c- take control over the entire Babylon, uh, Babylonian Empire and the Assyrian Empire as well, and then most of the Middle East uh, for, again, what was a violent, albeit a short, shortish period of time, about 70 years, 70 years. Um, from verse 5 now through verse 16, the author of Daniel tells us uh, an edifying story. And here's a good place to segue into the issue of authorship and structure of our book. The rabbis of the Talmud identify, uh, they give authorship uh, to the members of the great assembly, Anshe Knesset Hagidola, a Jewish authoritative body that was established after the period of prophecy uh, by Ezra, or right after the time of Ezra, which would be in the 5th century, and the Anshe Knesset would would keep in power until the, until the pre-Rabbinic times, uh, until the times of Shimon Hatzadik, uh, Shimon the Righteous, or the Just, which puts us, uh, we're not, we have a little bit, um, it's not clear exactly who to identify him with, the father of Onias I, or father of Onias II, but either way, it puts us in uh, the third century. So we're talking about a three-century span, which means that this book is a second temple book, according to our rabbinic uh, tradition. Uh, now, as traditional readers of Tanakh, uh, uh, we would like our books to be as contemporaneous to the events as possible. We would like the book to be writing, which is being written about what happened during the exile, to have been written during the exile. Um, however, just like Abraham's stories in the Torah were related by Moses some hundreds of, of years after his death, that could be the case here as well. Now, in some cases in the book, as we'll see, Daniel is speaking in the first person. So this would seem to be an oral tradition, perhaps, of Daniel's visions. And in fact, we will see that Daniel is instructed, Daniel is instructed to suppress his visions until the end of times. So perhaps uh, the Anshe Knesset Agudol in the Second Temple felt that the end of times may have been upon them or close upon them, so they published uh, uh, this book. The book is divided into two sections. Chapters 1 and sec- uh, one through 6 are story-based, uh, and chapters 7 to 12 are apocalyptic eschatological prophecies. And don't uh, worry about those words. I will define those terms when we get there, especially since the idea of apocalyptic and ap- apocalyptic uh, uh, text is, is often misunderstood. Now, the book is, has more than one purpose, as most books in Tanakh uh, do. They very often have a, a primary pur- purpose, but sometimes they have more than one primary purpose, and they certainly have secondary purposes. And certainly, one central primary purpose of this book is to demonstrate that God controls human history, especially on the geopolitical uh, level. Uh, specifically, it will refer to four empires w- which will dominate the world until the holy dominion of God is established. But another uh, of the goals of the book is to teach Jews how to survive, behave, and even excel in exile, all the while fully maintaining their Judaism. And and this is something that would be necessary in the Second Temple times as well. While there was a Second Commonwealth, many, many Jews were living in exile during Second Temple times. They were not 
necessarily free. They, they in many cases, did not, but also could not really come back to Jerusalem as they, to Israel as they wished. Vayiman lahem ha-melech devar yom biyomom bipat bag ha-melech umiyein mishtav legadalam shanim shalosh umiktsatam yamdu lifnei ha-melech. And the king rationed out daily portion from the pat bag of the king. We'll see what that is uh, in a little bit. As well as from his drinking wine during the time of their three-year training at which, at the end of which they would stand before the king, i.e. they would enter into his service, which as I said before has kind of a literal sense to it as well. The word miktsatam here is used differently than it was used above. Here it's in the sense of the word kates, meaning at the end of the set time, at the end of the three years. It, it does not mean only some of them made it uh, to uh, to be scribes, although that's probably true uh, too, but that's that's not the, the that's not what seems to be the translation here. Among the trainees were the following Judeans, Daniel, Chanania, Mishael, and Azariah. Vayasim lehem Sarah Sarisim Shemot, Vayasim le Daniel Belt Shatzar, le Chananya Shadrach, le Mishael Meshach, le Azariah Aved Nego. And the chief officer gave them names, meaning Babylonian names, good old Babylonian names. Uh, he gave Daniel the name Belchatzar, to uh, Chananya he gave Shadrach, to Mishael he gave Meshach, and to Azariah he gave Aved Nago. Now, there are a few things to note here. First, these names include Babylonian, uh, the names of Babylonian gods. But then again, so do our modern, our Hebrew months. Uh, in fact, so does Mordechai, our Purim hero, who is named after the Babylonian god Marduk, and Esther is named after the Babylonian goddess Ishtar. Um, once, essentially, once a, 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 a deity name is, becomes part of, is incorporated into a common name, the deity part of it takes on a mundane quality. It does not usually imply that the person is a god, nor does it imply that the person recognizes that particular god. So, I can enjoy the month of Elul, without recognizing that it's named after the Babylonian god uh, uh, of the same name. Of course, I probably wouldn't name my kid Jesus, uh, but it would be not, it would really not be idol worship if I did. And you always come across Pauls and Marys and surprising names, but again, once a name is a name, it really doesn't carry uh, with it um, uh, much significance or doesn't need to. In any event, these four scribal apprentices didn't have much choice in the matter, so they took their names. Another thing which I'll hint at now is one should note the parallel between the Daniel story, our Daniel story, and Joseph and the Joseph story. It's not only that the events, what happens to them, the reading of dreams, the becoming a, a, a power in the government, they're similar, but sem- so many of the a textual expressions the words are deliberately similar, similar as well. Uh, the first one which we have here is this idea of a saris, the head of the sarisim, which uh, uh, is used a lot in the Joseph story as well, although in, in that case the head was the sar ha-tabachim, but we'll meet a sar ha-tabachim in this story as well. The word saris, by the way, means eunuch, um, servants who maintained close or were allowed close proximity to the kings in ancient times were castrated. Uh, and since it put a damper on their aggression, among other things. However, by this time in the ancient Near East, that that, that procedure uh, uh, disappeared, um, but the name Saris uh, uh, continued. It outlived the operation. People were called Saris even without the accompanying uh, operation. Um, there is certainly absolutely no sense here, no indication here that Daniel and his companions were mutilated for their job. Finally, Daniel himself is known to us only from uh, this book. The name Daniel, 
uh, it's true, the name Daniel, although it's spelled Daniel, uh, we add in the extra E, Daniel, is mentioned in Yechezkel. Uh, but without going into the details, it looks like that's definitely a different Daniel. The description of that Daniel, Daniel there, the age, it just doesn't fit our uh, story's hero. There's more to it than that, but but uh, for now that will for that for now that will do. Vayasem Daniel el al libo asher lo yitgaal b'fat baga melech uviyen mishtav vayivakesh visar sarisim asher lo yitgaal. But Daniel was determined. He was resolved not to become contaminated with the pot bag of the king, and he requested from the chief officer that he should not be so uh, uh, contaminated. That he should not be contaminated. Pot um, is used for bread in, Ar- in Aramaic, and it probably comes uh, from earlier Assyrian, but it could also mean a morsel. A bag is an unknown word, but based on context, uh, a pot bag must have been some kind of meat dish, which was clearly not kosher. Now, why would the chief officer even listen to a lowly apprentice? A little boy, essentially, or a young, a very young uh, 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 teenager from the captured Judeans, because, as it now says in chapter in verse nine, God set up Daniel to get kindness and mercy from the chief officer. He was liked; he was well liked, specifically from the guy in charge. Um, this, of course, should remind you of how Joseph found grace in the eyes of Potiphar, the Sarah Tabachim, and then he found grace in the eyes of the uh, a warden when he was thrown into jail. Uh, and, of course, as I said, this will not be the last similarity between Daniel and Joseph. But the chief officer said to Daniel, I fear the Lord my king, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, who rationed your food and drink, that is, he's the one who set it up and portioned it out, and I don't, if I don't feed you patbag, what will happen? He will see that your faces are zoafim, they are comparatively more dejected or maybe more unhealthy looking than the other youths of your age, and then you will condemn my life to the king, which means I'll get the death penalty. I mean, it was life and death to go against the king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, even on such a small thing as diet instructions. And we'll see, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was not very tolerant of failure in his servants. Vayomer Daniel el hameltzar asher minasar asarisim al Daniel Chananiah Mishael vaAzariah. Then Daniel said to the butler, or in the modern Hebrew, meltzar means waiter, who the chief officer had appointed over, that is to give the food to Daniel Chananiah Mishael and Azariah. Now it seems that Tanakh is stressing that the waiter was appointed by the chief officer because it wants to tell us that uh, perhaps it seems to me why why stress the fact that this meltzar is appointed by the sarasarisim since sarasarisim is really you know um, uh, appoints everybody it seems that maybe the chief officer was hinting to Daniel while he personally was not willing to take the risk because he doesn't want to lose his, leave his life he'll appoint a meltzar. Uh, that Daniel could maybe work with, and if Daniel could provide him the the Sarah Saris with some deniability, then he won't report it. And wink, wink, this officer, you know, just uh, you know, I can't do it for you. But uh, you see, Joe, there, you're a personally appointed waiter. Uh, uh, talk to him, uh, or maybe he didn't say it as much as hint that. Anyway, Daniel requests the following, apparently with the approval of the chief officer. Nasna et avdecha, this is what he says to the waiter. Nasna et avdecha yamim asarav yitenu lanu mina zeiroim venochla umayim nishteh. Umayim venishteh. Try out your servant, that is, 
us. He's speaking, and, and it's very interesting that, that Danielle is speaking so humbly, even though he's speaking to a rather lowly waiter, a butler who's just in charge of bringing their food. But he calls he calls him, "I am your servant." Um, it gives you a sense of um, the kind of uh, social smarts that Danielle had. Anyway, try out your servant for ten days, during which you feed us, all of us. Um, you, uh, that is not only Danielle, but his three friends, uh, and let us eat and give us water and we will drink. That is instead of the wine, which they consider to be unkosher, no doubt sacramental. Um, I translated Zerahim loosely as just vegetarian food. Rashi pinpoints it more as legumes, which could have included rice-like grains and whatnot and certain, uh, certain pod-like, uh, uh, foods. Um, however, it could also mean just seeds. He fed them, uh, edible seeds. However, I think the sense is that anything, anything vegetarian, which is grown by sowing, uh, seeds. And then compare our appearance against the other youths who are still on the pot bag diet, who are eating the pot bag of the king, and then base your actions, you know, towards your servants. Do with us uh, based on what you observe. So it's possible then, maybe we could say, I mean, what would have happened if the Meltzar said, you know, tough, you don't look as good. So maybe Danielle was willing to eat the unkosher food, uh, the pot bag, if there was no other choice, uh, if it was life and death. It's possible. Uh, but either way, he would do whatever he could could to manage, and there's no doubt that he's taking a risk here by eating the wrong type of food that the king doesn't command, to pull it off. And of course, please don't ask me how they could eat this vegetarian food without checking for bugs, as we do uh, today. That's a separate issue altogether, and apparently, uh, 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 well, I'll just leave that topic alone. So the servant listened to this instruction and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their appearance looked not just as good, but it seems to be better and healthier. Literally, Briei Basar means fatter than the rest of the youths who were eating the king's pot bag. And the butler would carry or carry off their pot bag and their wine and give them, in its place, vegetarian food. Uh, it looks like, uh, it's hard to say exactly what the verse means by, by saying that it carried it, that the Meltzar carried it. could be the Meltzar essentially had these extra rations and managed to, uh, you know, make a profit on on them as well, which would also perhaps put him in a positive uh, light for for, for uh, Daniel, and probably Daniel uh, knew that there would be something in it for the Meltzar as well. Verse 16 concludes this substory. That's the verse that we just read, which shows the length that Daniel, uh, specifically as a leader, really, and his friends as well, were willing to avoid to, uh, to how far they would go to avoid contaminating contaminating themselves with unkosher food. Um, it also teaches that on one hand, God helps a person in exile to have much more influence than he should have, you know, one can reasonably expect. But on the other hand, the person can't just trust in God to make him the most loved person in the nation. He has to work the system. He has to make friends. He has to speak nicely to people. He has to figure out how the person might profit from it or appreciate it from it. 
Um, uh, and of course, probably you can't push it too far. You have to leave, and, and to recognize that some things are in God's hands. But uh, as we say in Somchanalanes, God does 100% of what He could be expected to do if we do 100% of what we are expected to do. Now, this idea of social success we've seen in many of our Jewish exiles. Uh, a quick example would be the Abarvanel, who's made the treasure of Portugal and then the High Minister of what is now Spain. Uh, of course, getting too cozy with the powers that could be risky too, could be risky too, as we have seen in Jewish history, and which the Abar Benel experienced firsthand, and which we will see in this book when we'll see people uh, uh, plotting to get rid of Daniel. Um, now that we've covered this subsection, which uh, talks about social success, the next chapter really talks about the professional success that God helps his the people of his exiled nation when they're in exile, uh, that he helps them to attain. And God gave these four youths knowledge, intelligence, and all forms of scribal and practical wisdom. And Daniel could explain all visions and uh, dreams, or he could understand all visions, the meaning of all visions and dreams. Much like Joseph, of course, again. Uh, and there's no doubt that the author of Daniel clearly sees Joseph as the archetype, the prototype of how a Jew can manage in exile. At the end of the days, meaning this three-year period of training, when the king commanded that they, all the apprentices, not just these four, be brought, and the chief officer brought all of them before Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar II. And the king interviewed them, and he could not find amongst all of them, that is, all of the apprentices, the equal of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they stood before the king, meaning they, they became part of it, they became his palace scribes, they were, they were inducted into his service, and as I mentioned, they probably really stood up uh, the entire time while they were uh, in, in his uh, throne in front of him. This is a very distinguished role, a role which carries a certain amount of power, as we will see. This is not just a question of, you know, recording minutes and, and writing diaries. And any words of knowledge, of understanding that the king requested from them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers that were in his entire empire. So, essentially, they get a good job promotion. Their non-magical wisdom and knowledge, intelligence, proved to be more prescient, more good at predicting uh, uh, future events, political uh, happenings, uh, than the hocus pocus of the magicians, the Khartoumim and the Ashafim. The difference between them is not really clear. It looks like Khartoumim, which is used in the Joseph stories, is a Egyptian term. Um, I, I heard once, I, or I read once, that it meant the one who stands with the book, but I'm not sure. And Ashafim are, are some kind of necromancers, uh, um, and it's a Babylonian word, or an Assyrian word. And Daniel continued through the first year of Cyrus the king. Now, Cyrus the king was the Median king that would end the short, but as I said, destructive 70-year rule of the Babylonian Empire in the year 540 BCE. Uh, Cyrus ruled before that, but he destroyed the empire. He took over the Babylonian Empire in 540 BCE, about 65 years or so 
uh, following the rise of the Babylonian um, Empire. Um, Cyrus would then follow it with his, replace it with his own Median Persian Empire. Uh, Daniel, as we'll see in later chapters, is active in the Median Persian Empire as well. That is, he doesn't quit after uh, the first year of Cyrus. So it seems to be that the, this, what this verse seems to mean is that Daniel remained in his powerful position during the entire length of the Babylonian Empire, uh, even though there were a series of king switches. In the next uh, chapter, Daniel's dream analysis skills will be put to fine use.